Welcome to the She's Illuminated podcast with me, Ellie Loves. I'm a breathwork healer and advocate for women, not just finding their voice, but using it. Through the breath, I help people get unstuck and get energized to heal the most important relationship you have with yourself. Sometimes all it takes is a conversation or an idea to light the touch paper and begin the process. This podcast is an invitation to get curious, inspired, and become the most authentic, fearless, expressed version of you. So come on, let's get illuminated. So welcome to my exciting first conversation with guest Erin Telford. Erin is a certified breathwork teacher and healer, acupuncturist, Reiki master and herbalist based in Topanga, California. So the first time I did Erin's breathwork, it was with my friend Joe, and I had no idea what to expect. I laughed, I cried and roared, and afterwards I felt a complete reset, filled with love and totally blissed out. It was one of those moments that was life-changing. And by the following weekend, we booked flights to New Mexico to do the training. Erin shares how breathwork can empower us to connect with our intuition, channel our inner strength and recognise our own ability to heal. As a skilled practitioner, she was doing the work, but it wasn't until she'd experienced David Elliott's style of breathwork at a yoga retreat in Nicaragua that she found what she describes as the missing piece of the puzzle. She explains having so much rage and grief and sadness in her body and not knowing how to express it. Breathwork was a powerful and safe space where for the first time she was able to feel it all and then release it. It was a total revelation and one that left her reeling, feeling love, compassion and acceptance in a way she'd never felt. She's helped people all over the world gain emotional freedom and clarity and has created breathwork experiences for SoulCycle, Goop Health in New York and Wonderless Festival. Her work has been featured in Vogue, Nylon, Well and Good and The Numinous. We talk about transitions and how leaving New York and the dream job in fashion 15 years ago was actually the best thing she ever did and how midlife could do with a rebrand and how living in your true essence isn't just good for you, it's better for the world and how clearing pain and suffering from your body can really brighten your face. She's currently writing her first book and this conversation took place at her home in Topanga Canyon at the very beginning of lockdown. Enjoy. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have this conversation with you. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me. Where to start? Where to start? I mean, gosh, we find ourselves in like crazy times at the moment. How are things for you in Topanga? Things are, I mean, I am, I am so wildly grateful to be here. I, I am so deeply appreciative of where I've found myself and I'm just giving thanks for it every day that I'm living in a place where, um, you know, I used to live in New York. So landing here and landing in a place where I have a yard and then I can put my feet on the ground and that even though I'm not allowed to take my hikes on the trails that I love and go to the parks that I love. I can still walk around, be in beauty, be in fresh air and, um, and feel, uh, I, I feel very buffered in this experience, you know, and there's a, a little bit of, um, you know, there's a, a tinge of, I mean, there's a huge recognition of my, of my privilege in this experience and, and how I'm moving through it. Um, but I'm just, incredibly grateful just giving thanks every day for being in a in a beautiful place that's nurturing and supportive for my being 
Mm, yeah, me too. I'm noticing also how it might be if you maybe weren't doing the work on yourself and suddenly you found yourself isolated without any of the places to go and move that stuff through you, whether it be running, going to work, having a hobby, but anything that maybe you're putting on in the, you know, the focus outside of yourself to suddenly be isolated and be at home, whether it be on your own or with family, it's quite, can be quite confronting. And I'm wondering how people are coping with that. I think that would be completely devastating if I, if I hadn't been doing like decades of who? Yeah, that would be the most terrifying thing if I hadn't been doing like decades of personal internal contemplation and working on all of my deepest uh, crevices of, of emotional pain and suffering, I would be climbing the walls right now. <laughs> I, would, I would not be in a good place at all. <laughs> Same, same. If people were not going to breathe before, I really hope that they might take the opportunity afterwards. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this in your experience, but what I've been seeing during this time in particular is that, especially because I've been doing some, um, some Instagram lives, so they're essentially, you know, free sessions for people. There are a lot more people that are working with this practice. And not only that, but the, the, uh, the healing feels accelerated. I feel like because we're in this liminal space where the structures of reality have kind of dropped away, the normal foundational structures of our everyday life have kind of dropped off. There is a, there's an opportunity for this like hyper sped up experience. And people have just been reporting amazing things to me as far as like in even visions too, the amount of visions that people are having with this practice seem very amplified right now. Mm. It's interesting because I feel that probably in my own experience, um, after I did my training, people were interested or are, might be interested, but are nervous about going into the shadow, but we're in it. You might as well do the work while you're here, but it yeah. feels like that. And then noticing that that journey between maybe where you were to where we are now of like, oh, that wasn't so painful. I don't know about you, but certainly that process of uh, first few days, fear setting in, hearing that this is going to be this deluge, we might be like Italy, life might change, we might lose the people that we love, and suddenly it was like, oh, and then slowly it's like, oh, I'm okay, this is okay, and suddenly going through that and realizing how resourceful we are. We are incredibly resourceful. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think it was um, definitely shocking in the beginning, and um, I was feeling a lot of the collective fear and the collective grief and the collective anxiety. And then, I mean, there's been so many ebbs and flows with this, and there was, for me, there was a really, um, like we were speaking on before we started uh, recording, but uh, to... Let's see. I'm always very wary of, of uh, I'm such a pragmatic spiritual person that when I start to use like um, certain spiritual terms, I almost like I'm laughing at myself before I even use them. But I, I did feel, I did have an experience where I started to receive some, um, you know, what you would call downloads of, of new energy and felt myself expanding into, into a different dimensional experience, um, which brought me into this really just excited, hopeful, inspired, 
realm of, of deep, rich possibility for humanity mm. and really being able to see what the, um, what the benefit of this could be for all of us potentially. And there's, and there's so much, there's so much to be determined on the other side. Um, but I could just see the, you know, how this was happening. And I, I know this is like, I hesitate to just, uh, use this phrase, but, um, what could be happening for us rather than what could be happening to us. And I know that that could be perceived as potentially insensitive for people who have lost people in their lives. Yeah. Um, but this is a very, um, both and time rather than either or and being able to hold the potentials of feeling the deep, deep, deep suffering and grief of people who have lost their lives alone in the hospital without their families, having to say goodbye on FaceTime, everyone who's facing financial insecurity or danger or violence in their homes, like being able to hold that and then also being able to concurrently hold the potential of what this can, this, this evolutionary choice point for our entire human family. So being able to hold both of those realities with equal weight and not having one cancel out the other, not having one invalidate the other, not having one be better or worse than the other. Mm. So the expansion for me of being able to find a little bit more neutrality and consider that we can hold, you know, 16 different realities within one human body and one human psyche has been um, a very interesting uh, expansion for me during this time. And then, you know, and then, and then feeling a little bit of the contraction after the expansion. And, um, you know, five days ago, I had a little, had a little pocket of heaviness and, um, and sobriety and, um, and just went into that and then, you know, came back out yesterday. So it's really, just been rolling with it, you know, and I think our, our breathwork practice is so, so beneficial for understanding um, the, the highs and the lows and being able to stay with all of them with equanimity and be able to hold yourself through all experience. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And knowing that when we try and well, when we contract in one of those spaces and get stuck, we're stopping ourselves from experiencing the whole range. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's really good. It's really interesting. Obviously you're in California. We're in pool in Dorset. Just, just understanding what it's like in different places. And you see, we read a lot, you know, you could read a lot, you could listen to a lot and it's just really interesting to reach out and it's like, ah, this is your picture of where you are right now. And yeah, yeah. in the sense of, um, really appreciating where we are. It feels like someone turned the birds up. Oh yeah, I know, it's so great. I love oh, it so much, yeah. So beautiful. I mean, it is, it is springtime, so I guess there's more birds, but they're probably just really enjoying not having to watch out for humans. So they're kind of, they're running free and wild. Yeah, and I'm loving it, absolutely loving it. So people that are listening might be um, wondering, or might be in a position where they're thinking about taking a leap. This is a really lovely mm, uh, midway break, a, a point of like, oh, okay, I've had some time. Maybe I'll look at the way I'm doing things. Maybe I'll change some things. Maybe I'll keep some things the same. They might have great ideas that they've been thinking about putting their energy and creativity into and are feeling, uh, 
a little hesitant. And it kind of got me thinking about sort of those times when we have those big aha moments in life. And I was wondering where yours was in your journey and how it unfolded. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the Rolodex of big aha <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I've had so many, so it's like, it's hard to pick. Well, I think I'll, the one that comes to mind, um, the first one that comes to mind is, because I think this is probably applicable to this, this moment right here, right now, is, um, uh, and this was this was the, at the very beginning of when I of when I started um, entering into this space of of doing healing as a job, but long ago and far away, um, it was 2000. Let's see, 2005. So 15 years ago, I I had moved to New York and I was working for Prada at their corporate office doing um, showroom sales for that brand. And I was in a place where I was like, oh, you know, I, I love fashion, I love clothes. And I thought I kind of like made it in a sense, you know, I was going to climb the Prada corporate ladder and I was going to be, you know, this very stylish New Yorker with, um, with a great clothing allowance and a, and a fancy job and, and um, made it. Yeah. Dream. And I, and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it with every cell in my body. I got, I was sick all the time. I was tired all the time. I dreaded going to work. I was so, so completely miserable. And I was so confused because I thought I had made it. I thought that I was, um, you know, and you know, that's, it was a job that was very supported by my family. You know, my aunt, everyone thought it was really cool and everyone was really proud of me, but I, I was completely miserable. And um, there was one day that I, I had a, I had a panic attack. I'd never had a panic attack before. I'd always been like a relatively like medium to high anxiety person, but I never actually had a panic attack. And I was, it was like the middle of a beautiful sunny day. I was at the laundromat and I felt like I was going to die. And like, I was having a acid trip at the same time. And I had to, I was half a block away from my house and I had to call my roommate to like, come get me because I couldn't even walk home. I was, I was, I was devastated, just like um, shaking in the chair at the laundromat. And um, the aha moment in that, in that time was, this is no way to live. This is not living. This is not the, the structure and the, the golden handcuffs. Um, I don't know if they use that phrase in the UK, yeah. but the, yeah. um, the golden handcuffs, the idea of like security, stability, healthcare, all of that stuff, all very valuable. And yet when you're miserable, there's no success. I couldn't count myself as being successful when I was miserable every single day. So I had a moment of like recognizing that the value system that said all of these things are good and you are um, being irresponsible or not smart or flaky to give up yeah. all that you have um, to pursue something else that you don't even know what it is. Um, that kind of it blew my mind out of the water. Like safety and security had had trumped um, quality of life for me in that in that moment. Um, and so there was an aha moment of like, I cannot go on like this and this is not what living is. And so I think, you know, for the people who are potentially thinking about 
uh, I really want to work because I need money, but the, I do not want to go back to that job. It's an important thing to think about what else there could be out there. And so for me, that was like one of the most profound moments for me of um, beginning to really engage with source and really engage and begin to deepen my relationship with the universe because I started praying every single day. And I did that for about six months before I got an answer, which felt like an excruciatingly long amount of time because I wanted out and I wanted, I wanted a path. I wanted a light at the end of the tunnel. I wanted direction. I wanted to know, I wanted clarity. And I'm hearing that from many people right now where they're, they're wanting change. They're wanting to initiate something, but there's no clear answer. They're not getting a clear answer. And many of them I'm hearing are thinking of that as being confused. Mm. Which I think it's important to just point out that just because you don't have a clear answer, it doesn't mean you're confused. It just means you don't have a clear answer because we can judge ourselves for not having something arrive in full form when we want it and when we ask for it. But there is that, I don't know who, who says this, but I think it's like, um, God, God only has four answers. It's like, yes, no, not right now, or I need more information. So, or, you know, God, goddess, um, spirit, whatever you want to call it. So I prayed for six months and then I was delivered an answer and it was, you know, six months later than I would have liked for it to, to appear. Until you had the answer. Yeah. You did stay in the job. Okay. So yeah. I stayed in because I needed the money. I needed the income and I didn't know what the other thing was. And when it arrived, it was going to acupuncture school. And that was the, you know, the farthest reaches of my personal imagination could never have named that as being the thing that was like, not, I never even had acupuncture when I, um, when I applied and got in, I never even received it before. It was just, but it was so clear when it came in that it was just, okay, cool. Quit the job, go to school. So ask you very quickly, what was your yeah. relationship to um, spirit, God at that point when you were praying and you were asking, what was, how old were you then? I was 31. Okay. Yeah. So what 30, was your relationship 32. to um, who you were asking at the time? Yeah. So, you know, I was always very curious. So I grew up, my parents had a, had a guru when I was first born. So they had, a, they were um, devotees of guru Maharaji. And so they were devotees of him until I think I was around like two or three years old. And my mom was always a daily meditator, still is a daily meditator. And they don't follow him anymore. But um, that was part of the Divine Light Mission Church in the 70s. And so they and my mom was raised Catholic. My dad was semi raised Christian. And they were so anti-organized religion that we didn't have any of that in our house. Mm -hmm. But I was always very, very curious about spirit. Yeah. And I was really connected to like the nature spirits and um, the kind of magic and the mystery of nature. So I'd spend a lot of time in the forest by myself. We had a forest by our house and, you know, it was like still safe for like a six-year-old girl to go to the forest by herself for hours. <laughs> I don't think anyone does that anymore, but um, that. <laughs> yeah, so that was like a magical time. And so I had my own sort of unformed connection in that way. And then 
I wanted to go to all my friends' churches because I was looking for that spirit connection. I went to the Mormon church and I went to the Catholic church and I went to the Christian church and I would go to the youth groups and I would go to the Sunday school. I didn't have to, but I was just curious. I was like, who's Jesus? Like, who is this guy? And there was no, um, no one was trying to pummel beliefs into my head. So it was from a space of pure curiosity and like interest. Um, you know, what's the Bible? I read some of the, I read the Bible when I was like 10 years old, just because I wanted to, I was like, what is this book? You know? Um, and then, and then it was, uh, I think as I, um, as I got a little bit older and, um, I started, you know, kind of investigating psychedelics a little bit more in my like teen years and early twenties, then, then my, then my church became nature. My church became like the mountaintop or again, the forest, um, the deep connection with earth and the, um, the other realms, the other realms of possibilities, those like doors of perception that were opening for me. So it was just kind of like, um, uh, it was, it was a very broad energy. It, it didn't really have a name. It didn't really have a face. It didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, I didn't quite know. I could feel it when I felt it, but I didn't quite know how to have like a relationship. I wasn't, I knew it was there. I knew I could feel it. I knew I was connected to it, but I didn't have a way of like engaging so much. And then, so when I began that six months of praying, that started to strengthen the relationship. And, you know, as I, as I deepened the conversation and, and, and spoke and listened and spoke and listened, then there was um, a greater connection. And then it, it was really, it was really beginning work with David. And that was a little bit over six years ago where I was like, oh, okay, spirit feels like this and I can make offerings and I can trust and I can, um, I can work for the universe. You know, there was a little bit more of like a finite, like the, the relationship grew from being this um, very broad kind of amorphous relationship that was kind of unnamed and unknown into more of like a, a deeper um, singularly connected, like I call on you, I talk to you, I open my circles with you, I close my circles with you, I ask for support, I listen, I receive guidance, I receive visions. Mm-hmm. So it just became a deeper and deeper, more like formed relationship. Mm. So when was the first time you did breath work then? How did you find that? And yeah. well, we'll just, um, just actually, uh, let's skip back very quickly to the sure. acupuncture and to your experience of acupuncture. How was that? How was that going back and learning at, at you say, 32? I mean, it's, it's a lot of information and it's really, you know, biology based and there's tons mm-hmm. to take in there. How did you find the studying of it and the practicing of it? I loved it so much. I loved it so, so much. And when I, when I received that sign to go back to school, um, the, the, like the, the kicker was I was, when I was reading the course catalog and I was just like, I was just like pouring over the information. I'm like, this is everything. This is everything. This is like science and nature, like the, the principles of Taoism and the, the healthier you are, the more in alignment with living with nature you are. I was like fascinated. I was like, this is everything. I believe this. And I was always very, um, you know, I was like in a gifted program when I was growing up. And then by the time I got to junior high and high school, I just entered a very intense rebellious period and I was drinking a lot and smoking a lot of weed and doing a lot of drugs and skipping school. So I was very, I was very smart and I was very, um, 
you know, I was in advanced classes, but I just didn't want to go. I, I just thought this is, this is ridiculous. None of this stuff is preparing me for life. I don't need to know any of this stuff. I don't need to know algebra. I don't need to know geometry. I don't need, need to know English literature. Like if I have to write another compare and contrast essay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to flip out. So I, I participated very little in school. So when I, actually found a course of study that I loved, I was a straight A student. I was like devouring information, studying all the time, just eating it up because I loved it and it felt true for me and it felt real and it felt all the good things, you know, it was like this perfect blend of spirituality and science and art. Um, so I loved it. I ate it up. Don't you find that really interesting when you hear people stumble across, not saying that you stumbled in that case, but sometimes that's they'll discover something and then they'll apply themselves and be getting a hundred percent. And these will be people yeah. who are not academic, but they find the thing that lights them up. And suddenly it's like, they have this voracious appetite. Oh, yeah. It's so encouraging. Cause it's like, it's never too late to go and follow your heart. No, never, never, <laughs> never, ever, ever. Yeah. I think that that's so important because I mean, it's funny. I was 32 and there were people that were, I was in class with that were, you know, 24, 25. And I would look at them and think, gosh, I wish I had, I wish I'd known this when I was that age. I wish I had been so clear about my path at that age. But there were also people that were in the program who were 10, 15 years older than me that were in their, you know, uh, 40s, 50s, maybe early 60s. And yeah, it's, it's never too late to do something that you love. It's never too late to pursue something. And, and you know, if you've got the resources to do it and you've got the time to do it, do it, do it. Yeah. Because we need you. We need you. Yeah. In your, we need you in your excitement and your relationship. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did, um, so then obviously I'm guessing having a successful um, practice in New York, it would have been again like a big if you'd said to people i'm thinking about doing something completely different and stopping doing that there would have been a lot of people that have said but you've been doing that for ages you're amazing you probably had a great list of clients what led you to make that shift into something else so it was a gradual shift and you know because acupuncture was my first foray into into this healing world it was it was more challenging for me to let go of it than it was for other people because it, it almost seemed like blasphemy, you know, in a way to be like, I invested all this time and I earned this degree and I spent all this money on student loans and now I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, but it was a very natural progression. And, and what I, what I did do was when I first, so I opened my acupuncture practice in 2010 and I experienced breathwork for the first time in 2014. And then I added it to my practice pretty much immediately. And so I, I offered, you know, acupuncture, herbal medicine. Um, I'm a Reiki master as well. So Reiki and then breathwork. And it was really, I just, I just added it to my list of offerings and the people that were intrigued and the people that were um, interested in trying something new did. And then the people that really liked the acupuncture and, and that modality, they stayed with that. And it wasn't until I actually left New York in 2017 that I officially stopped practicing. So that was when I left to travel and I took everything basically 
other than breathwork trainings and in-person breathwork groups, my, the bulk of my work became virtual work. And so obviously you can't do acupuncture virtually. So it became, it became, it became breathwork ultimately. And I just, for me, it's always been in the pursuit of life it's very important for me to be juiced up. It's very important for me to be excited because I'm not operating at my full capacity if I'm not engaged. You know, I think David says, um, and this has been such a great template for me, um, you know, I'll stop doing it when, I, when it's not fun anymore. Yeah. And that, that may sound like a, like a great luxury for people to stop doing something when it's not fun. Um, and, and for some it is, that's not necessarily available uh, for ev- everybody, everybody at all points in their life. But for me, I do have the, because I am self-directed and self-employed, I, I need to stay inspired. I need to stay enlivened with this work. And so I'm going to continue to move towards expanding and move towards learning and into spaces that are that are gloriously interesting for me because if I'm not excited about it, I mean, it's, it's not that interesting for other people. Either, you know? okay, but also what a beautiful reminder that I think when you, particularly when you're moving into midlife, whatever, whatever we call that, I guess from, I don't know, I'm 47, nearly 48. I want to call midlife 60. <laughs> I love that. I know I'm 45 turning 46 this year. And I said to my dad the other day, I'm like, I'm middle aged, but like, oh. what does that mean? Yeah, but I mean, it only has the connotation. I don't know if they had this in like in the UK, but when I was growing up, like hitting forty, there was all these uh like uh yeah uh, over the hill and like the vulture and like the yeah. yeah, it's just not like that anymore. No, I see like medicine woman, wise woman. I see you know such great knowledge, but I think it needs a rebrand for sure. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely needs a rebrand. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, you're talking about um, really just doing something that lights you up. It's your duty, not just, and I think so many people feel like, but I'm lucky I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that. Um, and they'll use that as a reason to stay where they are. But you you are going to be so much more powerful and so much more um, yeah, powerful in the world if you love what you're doing. Yeah. And magnetic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think we all have, we all have such unique paths. Um, you know, if you're in a job that feels like it's killing you slowly, then it would be a great idea for you to leave it. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you can, when you can. Yeah. But, it, but you know, there are, I, I look at, I look at people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm single and I'm 45 and I'm very happy with my life. And there are other people whose dharmic karmic paths, you know, I look at some of the people that I went to high school with and they, you know, they work for the phone company and they have four kids and they take vacations once a year and like they they appear to be gloriously content. Yes. So, you know, I think it's like every person has their own path. If you are 
not everyone needs to leave a day job and go do something outlandish and expansive. Yeah. If you are good where you are, stay there, celebrate. You know, I'm, I wasn't meant to be a mother in this life. So if you, if your motherhood and your, in your experience of, of, of being, of having a family is your glory and your power, great, you know, but if something is hurting you, if it's hurting your soul, if it's, making you die a little bit inside every time you go do it, then it would be, it would be good for everyone if, if you weren't doing that. So I just want to make that point. Like I, I never want to, I never want to be the person that's like everyone leave the day job, you know? Um, Cause some people are, are very, are very meant to be, I mean, we need everyone. We need all, all the people who want to do all the jobs. So I think also it it brings up that um you know the ending and the death of something which for a lot of people it's we're you know conditioning uh has made that really we're fearful about that rather than seeing it as kind of like the end of a cycle and the conclusion of something so that we can then maybe open something else yeah um, yeah i think you're right and being creative again being creative, doing the things that you're doing and maybe having to stick with the day job or, but finding other ways to be able to find your purpose, discover joy in your body, in your heart. Yeah. Joy in your body and in your heart is essential. It's, it's essential. Yeah. And I really, the, the death, the life, is it life, death, life cycle, life, death, life cycle. I'm, I'm just, I don't know how it is exactly in other countries, but I feel like Americans are very um, averse to the idea that death is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it creates a lot of limitation. I, I brought up death a couple times in some things that I posted on Instagram and, and it's very offensive to, to people. Um, and I, I'm personally, you know, it's like I've had, I've had a death in my family that was, that was, you know, brutal and too soon. And it was a death that drew a giant line in the sand for me for my entire life. I was in a relationship with someone I was planning on marrying and planning on having children with. And there was a trajectory that my life was taking and, and this experience of death just turned everything on its side and it, and it really brought me into an experience of my own mortality and thinking like, if this is the only life that I'll remember, I mean, who knows, I remember some past lives, but if this is the only life that I'm currently aware of, and this is the one that I'm living right now, is this how I want to continue? Is this, is this it? Is this good enough? Mm. And I think that the presence of the presence of death can be, um, it can be one of the greatest inspirations, you know, having death be present and having the acknowledgement that none of us have any idea how many days we are fortunate enough to have left as healthy, living, breathing, walking, talking, um, clear-minded individuals. Mm. That can be the biggest inspiration to make a different choice, to make a different move. Mm. Um, because we're so, I mean, I'm, I wake up every, I'm grateful for every single day that I have on this earth. And I want to be utilizing the potential of my being and also 
living into the fullness of the experience that's available at all times. That's a, that's a value. That's a value I have. And that's, that's not a value that's necessarily a top value for um, everybody. But I think it's a, it's a good one to adopt to be able to really um, experience more enjoyment and more pleasure in your life. No matter, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on. Mm. So tell me then your first experience of breathwork and where that kind of fitted into the picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, they are mowing the lawn outside, so I'm just going to put my, you know what, we'll just deal with it. I right? really hear it. I hear it. Okay. Okay. Um, so it was the, you know, it was the best as the first <laughs> breathwork often is for so many people. Um, I mean, I guess for all the people that immediately decide that they need to be trained in it, it's the best experience. So ah, yeah, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, so it was uh, 2014, February, 2014. And I, um, I was on a yoga retreat in Nicaragua and uh, it was just before, and so we're in the, we're in the jungle and it was just before dinner and we were in this, um, like open air palapa that um, was uh, facing the ocean yeah. and, you know, just kind of moving into the evening time of the jungle where you can start to hear all the bugs beginning to, you know, buzz and chirp and make sounds and the hum of the jungle. And then, you know, the ocean waves were crashing on the rocks and it was all very dramatic. And um, the other, the other yoga teacher, she was just very, gently uh, playing a drum with her hand and singing some medicine songs. So very quiet, uh, you know, not like the popular music from the speaker that we normally would have during breath work. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'd only at that point in time experienced the type of breath work that you would do in a yoga class. So I thought when the teacher said breath work, we're just going to do breath of fire, do some, you know, inhale hold exhale hold you know different just yogic techniques and so when we laid down and we started doing our breath work i i don't know how soon it was it was maybe um maybe the first or second song i started to feel this immense wave of grief like coming through my body and i was very confused because I thought I'm just breathing. I'm laying down breathing. What's going on? Why am I feeling like this? Cause he, he gave zero preface, like zero, anything. Um, zero explanation, zero, this might happen. Anything it was just like, Hey, let's do some breath work. Here's the technique lay down. So I'm starting to feel all this emotion coming up. And I was like, kind of like turn, I think I might have opened my eyes, looked around and there was a woman to the left of me who was starting to open up and she was, she was starting to, you know, to make, make very audible, audible sobs, audible crying sounds. Um, she had lost her mom the year before, I believe, or maybe even, yeah, like the year before, nine months before. And then there was this other lovely man on my other side and he had, um, his grandma had, had died recently. And so they're both very expressive. They're like crying loudly and making sounds. And so then I was like, oh my God, this is happening for other people. I get to do it too. I get to do it too. Yeah, they gave me permission because I was so self-conscious about it. And so then I start crying and then, and then we're screaming and then we're, and she's moving all over the place and he's doing all kinds of things. And, and, and I did look, I did look. So I was just like, what's oh, happening? Um, 
but it ultimately, it ultimately was like, you know, I rode the wave through, through the release of grief and through the release of rage and through the release of confusion and, and just venting all of this emotion and all of this like storage of suppressed trapped emotions that I had no idea of what to do with when the experiences were happening and no tools to be able to alchemize or move them through my body until that exact moment. And it was just like, I was like bailing it out of my body just as much as I could, just getting as much emotion out. And um, what a beautiful analogy, bailing it out, like you've been sinking all that time. Yeah, yeah. I, um, Lee Harris, I think, yeah, he's, he's English. Um, he, he talks about the idea of a, of a grief window, how, you know, every time you have a new grief experience, it opens up a window for every previous grief in your whole life to be able to just like shove it out. You know, you have that opportunity to like feel it and heal it and move it and move it out of the body. So I was feeling that and, um, and I, I had a moment where, where I felt, uh, so my sister had, my sister died like five years before. And I had like one of those beautiful moments that, you know, so many people have during breath work where I felt her like hand palpably on my heart. I felt her presence with me. Um, and then, you know, as is with the trajectory of breath work, I emerged on the other side with just like the most explosive, massive, heart opening and just gratitude and love for everybody. I just wanted to like hold everybody and love everybody and hold hands. And I felt total self-forgiveness and self-love for myself. And then just, just the, the expansive beauty of really feeling um, compassion and love for everybody in the whole world. Yeah. And uh, you know, I sat up and I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, what did we just do? What was And he was like, oh. That is the phrase. What the fuck was that? I know. That's the phrase. That's the phrase of, of a lifetime, right? That's like when you know you're hooked is when you ask that question. And he's like, oh, it's this guy, David Elliott. And I like ran back to my room and we had really spotty internet in, the, in Nicaragua, but I, I immediately. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I signed up for the first retreat that he had available. I love that. Just like it was February and he was doing a Memorial Day retreat. So I booked to go meet him in May. Um, and that's when it got started. I was just like, this is the thing. I need to do this immediately. And it was kind of a remembering, honestly. It was a remembering of something that I'd known before, that I'd experienced before. Um, that just felt, and it just felt like the final key in the lock of all the work I'd been doing, you know, on my own for, you know, however many years. And it, it felt like, it, it felt like the final, you know, I know it's not the final piece because there will be more pieces in my life, but it felt like the, the biggest piece that I'd experienced up until that point. So one of the things I love, and you were my first, um, I did work ah! with you. Uh, my friend Joe had signed up to do your, um, uh, oh, what's the name of your course? Sacred Terrain. Sacred Terrain. Okay. Doing it at home, and she is, and Joe is like my touch paper for 
she is such an incredible seeker and she is so wise and she's such a dear friend and she lives around the corner and she was just like, Ellie, I'm doing this thing. It's fucking wild. Do you want to come over and have a go? And I was like, yeah, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there we are lying on the floor in her, in her lounge and Joe's like, you know, she's incredible. She's big, a big expander for me as well because she works, she's, doing, she's done a lot of shadow work. And I think just because of, um, I guess in my life, I had been resistant of that because I was afraid of how it was gonna come up and come through me. And I thought it would be causing endings. And so I pretty much just stuck plasters everywhere I could and just went, no, we're good here. <laughs> hey, we're good here. <laughs> and breathed and, um, and first of all, I was struck by your music. I was like, I love this music and I also teach Aww. queer. So for me, music, queer was a, was a great way to get out of my head and into my body. And through yeah. music, it was like, oh, the magic ingredients. So when I heard the music, I was like, if I didn't love the experience on its own, the fact that it's put to music, it's making my monkey mind stay in, like get, you know, take a rest and let me get on with the job. And I feel so uplifted and I was like, oh, this felt like alchemy. And my first experience was um, I'd had a cesarean after a really difficult um, uh, labor with my eldest. So mm -hmm. after a long um, trying to have a, a natural birth, I ended up having a cesarean and he was born healthy. And I was thrilled about that, of course. And I knew, I knew, my brain knew that this isn't the case for everybody. So be really grateful that you had a, a healthy baby. But there was yeah. definitely a part of my body. I definitely felt sad that I wasn't able to do it. I felt like, God, I've had these yeah. hips my whole life, these childbearing hips my whole life. And I couldn't do that. And people were like, but yeah, you did it. And I felt like I'd been clubbed over the head, dragged over the finish line and then given a glass of um, champagne and gone, you did it. And I was like, but I didn't. Oh. In the breath work, there was this experience of um, birthing him, and it was just insane. Oh. And so what? And so and it literally came out. It was like, what else am I holding on to? What else can I let go of? If this has been hanging on for seventeen years, what else can I let go of? And it was just this. It was beautiful, and I was just like, right, when are we doing it again? How can we do it again? And Joe was like, well, I've been speaking, to, like you, I've done some research. Uh, I've been speaking to David already. I'm thinking about going, and I went, can I come with you? She was like, oh. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And it became the most incredible adventure, and I've done various different things, but I've never, and I love America, I love California. So it was a great opportunity to go and do a proper trip. I mean, that meant, yeah. So, to my husband, I'm going to spend, you know, a significant amount of money. I'm investing it in myself. I know that this is going to put extra pressure on you to go and study at the time when the children are around. So it's, and so it was all those things. It was testing a lot of different things, but it just turned out to be the absolute, you know, the path for me. And I'm so grateful for it. And what I was going to say to you is, is that what I found so beautiful, and I think this is something that you do so well, is that you guide people very safely through the shadow. And I, I guess I hadn't always known that that was, it was possible. My own experience probably a decade ago was moving from London into uh, to the area where I grew up and, and came back to my hometown. It brought up so much stuff for me. 
And instead of, um, instead, well, I ended up doing, going and doing some great therapy, some expensive um, therapy and, and taking medication. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, I'm not broken. I know I'm not broken, but I don't know another way yet. And suddenly doing Koya was the first bit, but when I did the breath work with you, I was like, hang on a minute, the game's up. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> And I don't discredit the process of going because I think so many people go through that process of like, this is not working anymore. I need to do something different, but I don't know how, I don't know where to start. It's too terrifying. And to be anesthetized by medication in my experience was what I probably, it was the option at the time. Um, And the therapy, the talking therapy was the first significant therapy I'd ever done. And Mm -hmm. it opened up this whole new uh, chapter of self-discovery. Yeah. But the being able to go through the shadow and being able to do that in a way that is doable. Yeah. else and I think that's one of the greatest things and I think is one of your greatest skills is being able to take you take people hand in hand and going you know I've got you we'll do this together thank you thank you and I you know it's funny right I think you know you could probably relate to this or you know anyone who's listening that um, the thing that maybe you needed the most growing up or when you were young is part of what you provide for other people and you know I I I had um I had a very short stint with medication I took Lexapro for I think a couple I think just a couple days honestly I didn't even wait the whole two years I gave it a good go (laughs) yeah it didn't it just I felt terrible I felt terrible and and I just thought oh if 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 this is I don't know if it, I don't know if it was supposed to get really good in two weeks, but I, I didn't, I couldn't do it. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, I think that what you're saying about um, people needing assistance in their, in their experience, but not necessarily like there is the, there is the standard route when you're having a, a difficult time, you go to therapy and you take medication and it will help you get back on your feet. And it's a very legitimate path. Um, and it can be a very helpful path. And especially, um, yeah, when people need that, just need to be able to get out of bed, you know, or, or need to be able to like to engage in their lives. But the thing about the shadow and the way that we've been socialized, and this is, this is one of the reasons that I created Sacred Terrain is that, you know, I, I had my first experience of, of depression. It's funny. I, I, my mom sent me something, um, that I posted on my Instagram stories just a few days ago. And it was something that I wrote when I was 10 years old. And it said, I get depressed when my friends ignore me. And I was like, oh, I thought the first time I recognized depression, I mean, that was just me feeling sad. Like that was more sadness than depression as 10 year old. But um, I think the first time I remember feeling uh, feeling that that heavy weight of sadness was around like 14 years old, um, more profoundly like 17, 18. And that was where my parents were directing me. They're like, you got to get on medication. You got to go to therapy. And I just, I knew that it wasn't the thing that I needed. So I said no to them. And I had enough, I had enough like self-agency and like willfulness to, to say no. Mm -hmm. 
But then I spent, you know, the entirety of my life trying to figure out other ways to abate that, that feeling and, and to be able to work with depression and rage and all of these, all the emotional pain and all of the traumas that I experienced. I, and, and so obviously finding breathwork was such a gem, but what I, what I love about this practice. And I mean, I think we've, we've just been socialized to think whatever you hold inside you is terrifying Mm. and it's bad and it's scary and it's dangerous and you are not capable of being with it on your own. You're not capable of feeling it, touching into it, working with it. If you do that, you're entering into very dangerous territory. The only folks, yeah, don't open the box and definitely don't do it without a mental health professional. Now, in some cases that might be true, but in, I would say for the majority of most people that just have the emotional pain of a life. Yeah. You need a witness. You need a witness. You did like a witness and a sacred safe space is absolutely 100% of the healing process and being able to complete a cycle of trauma. But the idea that we have been conditioned to be afraid of what's inside ourselves is really dangerous. Mm. And it doesn't, it, it socializes, it conditions us away and programs us away from our own agency, from trusting ourselves, from trusting our feelings, from trusting our, our intuition, from trusting our own guidance and from trusting guidance from spirit or source or ancestors or whoever else. Mm. And so the, one of the main purposes of sacred terrain was to be like all the ways that you feel are normal. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken and you can actually be in your body and feel the, the intensity and the growth edge of your grief and your pain and everything that you've been holding in the vault of your body for your entire life. And you can on your own with the power of your own beautiful body and the strength of your lungs, you can heal yourself. There was never anything wrong with you. You've just been told so many times that you're this, you're this kind of person, you're that kind of person. This is a condition, this is a disorder. And those labels create no wiggle room for change. There's no, there's no room for transformation once you identify with the label. It can be supportive for maybe a short period of time, but we are so infinitely dynamic and the opportunity for healing, like you know it, I know it, we've seen it in all of our clients and all the people that we work with. It's just, it's limitless. And there's no studies and there's no science to back it up, but there's massive amounts of empirical wisdom of just seeing what's possible for one being in one session. Yeah. And you think about all the children that are growing up now, supposedly not fitting into those norms of this this um, education system that we set up, being given all these um, labels and and yeah, I, I think I think if it wasn't a problem before, it's most certainly going to be something that is emerging and becoming even more important. But it's very interesting, you know, that whole thing about, I I read a really interesting book, the book called, of course, now I can't think of it. Um, It was by Johan Hari, Lost Connections, about about a medication and how medication really is only supposed to, it only really has to adhere to, it only has to be slightly more successful than than, uh, not doing anything. 
to uh, to be able to be marketed. And then when you start looking at the drug system, it's like, are we as a nation or as, as a, an entire planet unable to live this life? So we have to then medicate ourselves to get through it. And the yeah. truth is no. The truth is no, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The truth is no. Yeah. And the statistics for, you know, med medication was supposed to solve that problem. And I know that it's been, you know, I can't dispute. I mean, every time I bring up medication, there's always someone whose life was saved by it. So I, I can't, I can't dispute yes. that. But the rates of depression are higher than ever. And, and I, in my practice, at least for 10 years of, of, um, or I'll, I'll just uh, seven years of clinical practice, I didn't have one single patient or client that wasn't on antidepressants that wasn't still depressed. It just, it doesn't solve the fundamental soul issue. Hmm. Of the, how many people are on them and so afraid and so ashamed to even share it? And then to hear that that's the case also makes the whole thing feel counterproductive. Yeah. yeah, I'm just happy that we have different ways for people to deal with their pain. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So can you share um, some of your experiences breathing as a facilitator? Uh, can you share some of those moments that you've had with, with um, people that have breathed with you? I call them clients, but um, adventurers, time travelers. That's how I sometimes in my groups at home, I think. Gosh, if, you know, we literally have done astral travel yeah. <laughs> together. We feel like that film Jumpers where you jump in and then you jump back out again. It's like, oh, like we've got the, like the elixir. We're plugging into like the, the elixir of life. I'd love to say that it was the fountain of youth, but sadly, no, it's the elixir of life. <laughs> There's a little fountain of, of youth, though. I mean, you found I found that. Yeah. <laughs> I found that I think like some of the people, I mean, people, I mean, again, we're, yeah, we're quote unquote middle aged, but I, I think that clearing, clearing pain and suffering from your body really brightens your face. <laughs> like 100%. I, I can see like the 12 year old spirit coming through me very often. You know, and I, I think that when you, when you are, um, when you've alchemized a certain amount of suffering, there is a lightness to your spirit that can be felt and seen in your in your physical and your physical aspects. So yeah, um, I love that you call them time travelers and adventures. It's so wonderful. Yeah, I clients. I think I refer. That was a little bit more in reference to like one on one people. We don't. We need a better word for that. Um, but adventures. That's uh, that'll be my new favorite. Um, my my most. I mean. The thing I love about this practice most is that it, it is, you know, it's, it's so creative. It's so, so, so creative. And um, I always feel like the most well utilized I've ever felt in my life when I'm, when I'm leading a group, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up, I'm down, I'm holding hands, I'm touching bodies, I'm applying oils, I'm spraying things, I'm burning things, I'm sweating, I'm, I'm channeling, you know, I'm, I'm plugged in, I'm tapped into that same cosmic battery. So I just, I'm deeply delighted to lead groups virtually or in person. Like they're both equally, I'm so turned on by the experience always and so vitalized and, and high on the group energy. 
Um, but my favorite experience that I ever had as a facilitator was, I think it was probably a couple years in, and um, it was the, at that point in time, it was the, the biggest group that I had ever experienced before. And I was, I'm just, yeah, 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 right here. It's right here. It's really a cool wind chimes. No, it's a neighbor uh, mowing the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let me put these in here. Um, So I was in a room, this really beautiful room at the Standard Hotel um, in uh, Manhattan. And on, on one side, I could see the river, and then on the other side, I could see you know, people just walking by and enjoying themselves. And I think it was a group of about 50 people. And yeah. Can you hear me okay? It's gone really patchy. I think he's really close to you, isn't he? Yeah, he was like right behind me. <laughs> like animals, they love it when they can feel energy. Yeah, we'll just, they'll roll, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. He's, yeah. He's moving away. <laughs> okay. okay. So, okay, so I'll sort of uh, start over a little bit. So Wait, it was, that, and if that's easier for you, if you'd rather not have them in. Oh, no, I think it's good because it like blocks out the noise on this. It's really okay. loud over here, too. Um, so, oh, you know what? It's because it's picking up on the microphone. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Oh, now? Okay, good. Yeah, he's over there. Hopefully you won't come you back. Like, for that, for this story to be muted in any way. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pump it back up. So, all right. So it was the first, it was the biggest group that I'd ever done until this moment in time. And there was about 50 people and I'm in this gorgeous room. And I, I, you know, began the group. It was also the first time I'd ever used a microphone during a group because it was a big group. Yeah. And I was very nervous about the microphone. It felt very weird and very, uh, very official. Um, but it was great because, you know, you have to speak very loudly and like yell a lot during breath work. So it was great to have the microphone. But I, I began the group and, and, you know, got them, got them breathing, got them going. And I think it was about, it was somewhere around like the third or fourth song that I, I paused for a moment because I was running around, you know, and attending to everybody and doing all the things, but there was a moment of pause. And I just remember turning around and I saw this, like, it was a palpable, it was like a visible ripple that went through the group of energy. And I felt it in my body. And I realized in the moment, I was like, oh my God, they just clicked in. Like something happened and they just they just clicked in like their energy fields just like matched up. And I saw, I saw, I saw them do this and I was like, Oh my God, they're working together. All of a sudden that it was somehow this like energetic decision where everybody in the room, even though they're scattered around this big room, everyone was like, I see you. I got you. We're connected. We're doing this together. And all of a sudden I didn't even have to do anything. It was like, they were doing it together. And it was the remembrance. It was like the feeling of people remembering of, of times when we all lived together and when we lived in villages and when we lived in smaller groups and when 
um, when we were never alone and we were always supported and we weren't separate and there was always someone to um, rub your back or hold your baby or cook you a meal or um, bring you vegetables or celebrate you or dry your tears. And it was so profound and so wild. And I, I ended up retelling the same story to another breathwork facilitator last year. And I had been getting interested in Joe Dispenza's work. Um, and she said, he, she said, that's coherence. It's heart coherence. That's what's happening when they, when you feel that feeling. And it's a feeling for me of like full body chills, spirit presence, and it's the click is when is when their hearts their heart fields or heart energy fields come into coherence with each other and then there's a moment where dna can start to repair and shift and come online and then the whole group of people is working for the benefit of the entirety of humanity yeah just that just that and if that doesn't make you look 10 years younger i don't know what's what is <laughs> all in a day's work oh incredible and like you say like you say isn't it such a gift to be able to be in a position to be a channel for that to be able to witness it to be able to see it and the feeling i bet afterwards for everybody that was involved in that would have been wild it's just like one of the greatest greatest experiences of my entire life you know and and hopefully the same for everyone on the other side as well. But it's, it is, yeah, that moment of feeling in between worlds and so divinely aligned and, and in full contact with everything that's real and true and powerful and beautiful. So I, yeah, can't think of a better job. <laughs> oh God, me neither. Me neither. Okay. So I'm mindful of time now. I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to pick my, um, I feel like we're going to have to talk again, but I was, I think probably what I would like to kind of like conclude with would be, um, a couple of questions. If you could have a billboard and have anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never been asked that question before. Okay, I'm just gonna say what came through immediately and, and it would just be like, you're okay. You're okay. You are okay. And and the and the why would be because it's true. And and it 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 piggybacks on just the idea that we've we've never been broken, we've never been a mess, we've never been a disaster, and the essence of our being is always intact is always leading and guiding us in the direction that we need to be going and that any conditioning or programming or advertising or myth making or um, criticism or judgment or projection or shaming or guilt tripping um, doesn't really matter ultimately that we are we are allowed to be who we are and like you said breath work is self-agency Instead of, instead of uh, putting it out there and going, you know, just going to other people and saying, you've got my answers, you've got my answers. Sorry, it's my enthusiastic dog. Um, yeah, what you're doing is you're going within and you're finding it all and, it's, and, it, and it appears to you uh, in gentle ways. It comes through in ways that you can handle. Exactly, exactly. Because our- A few tears. 
Yeah. And feel better. Yeah. And our, our bodies are so, it's like, especially as women, there's so many reasons why we would not want to be in our bodies and not want to um, experience what they're holding or listen to what they have to say. But it's, um, I don't think that our bodies hijack us or harm us. You know, they, um, they can sometimes, you know, with like in the case of a panic attack, but it's, that's just your body trying to um, help you out ultimately. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, and how can people who are listening, um, access your work? They can find me on my website. Everything's there. So erintelford.com and I've got all of my upcoming, um, you know, who knows if any of this stuff is happening, but I do have upcoming trainings and <laughs> retreats that are on my website and all of my virtual offerings. And, um, you know, this time for me, I know that there's something new coming through for me and it has not arrived yet, but there, there is a percolation of some, something new that's coming through. I like to meet the moment and create things in the moment, but then also make space for whatever, whatever the future teaching is for me. So you can find any of my virtual groups and offerings there. And then also on Instagram, I love that medium. And I'm Erin Telford underscore underscore there. Thank you. And I think what you just said there is so beautiful that those gaps where we're praying and nothing's happening is space for the new stuff to come in. You know, yeah. it's the trusting, holding faith in those times when nothing seems to be happening. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing to, to, I mean, this, this whole experience right now is an ultimate, you know, masterclass and, and flexibility <laughs> At adaptability and also comfort with the now moment. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of lo of life that is avoided by future plans, and and there's a lot of control that's exacted on life by needing something to be happening right now, and and ignoring the life death life cycle. Mm. You know, we're we are in a death cycle right now. We are, there's a lot of things that are being dismantled and things that are coming undone and relationships that are dying, ways of being that are dying. Um, and so we have to allow the, the, I mean, if just thinking about nature, we have to allow like the log to decompose before we can fertilize the soil before something new is going to pop up out of the ground mm -hmm. and wanting to rush the process and feel like something's wrong with you or wrong with something else because there's no immediate fully formed idea that's dropping into your experience. You know, we have to patience is, is a virtue, right? Like it's not one of mine. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not particularly good with patience, but, but, you know, being, being deeply appreciative of, of, of now. Yeah. Um, is a is a very interesting practice to cultivate and be with and 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 trust and just trust just trust like I can feel it I know what the percolation feeling feels like I felt it in my body a million times I know it's coming and I can't do anything to rush it it'll land when it lands it'll come in when it's ready but you know it's like that whole thing of prying the butterfly out of the chrysalis it doesn't work <laughs> Well, also that idea as well, um, you know, on, on magnetism, you know, when you're looking and you're staring at the thing going, why aren't you opening? Why aren't you 
There's nothing magnetic about that. But when you're going along your way, doing your own thing, and guess what? It comes because it wanted you. And it's like, oh, coming out of that striving. And I know for a lot of people at the moment with work and business and, you know, wanting some, some um, surety, you know, yeah. into that. But it's such an invitation to go, oh, I'm just going to do something else. Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating thing to recognize. Are you trying to plug into some form of of security because being in the unknown and the and the prolonged uncertainty is extremely uncomfortable? Yeah. You know, where's the urge? What's where's the urgency coming from? You know, that's that's another place to examine of control over over what is or what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Erin, I mean, I could talk to you all day. Um, I know. But finally, I wanted to ask you, what does living an illuminated life um, look like for you? Oh, I love that. And the lawnmower begins again. Um, you know, living an illuminated life, I think that that word has come so much more into my consciousness lately because I've been so much more connected to um, star beings. Okay, he's coming right window so i don't know if you could uh, maybe should i pause for a second you can edit this out or we can just um, I, i'm just mindful of your time if you're good to wait for a couple of minutes until you wait a couple of minutes yeah because he's like as your edges i'm looking at the grass and there's so much to mow right in front of the window um shoot let me see i'll wait until he like fades say, give me three minutes yeah <laughs> I think I think you could do it. It sounds okay right now. It does. Okay, good. Okay. Um, so, living an illuminated life, um, that the word luminosity has just come into my consciousness so much more strongly um, as I've been kind of connecting to um, different star beings as support and and other galaxies. But the the idea of being illuminated, it feels like. Um, mm, it feels like stepping into the field of, of, of luminous possibility. It feels like stepping into the space of magic and the place around the edges of our life where the um, quote unquote reality begins to blur and there, there begins to be a little bit more possibility at the edges of creation for something else. Um, to be able to walk in light and walk in your life and have your have your face kind of turned turned to the sun or turned to spirit to be able to feel that um, that conscious shine upon you and that support um, from the other worlds. Yeah, Jim Carrey at the end of the Truman Show. You know when he just gets oh. the edge. And then he yeah. opens the door of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Existing, existing in a in a sunbeam that is source energy and that is uh, full creative potential magic. Mm -mm. Yeah, <laughs> just that, just that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited, and I'm so grateful um, that you were like the marker for me to come into this work and you continue to um, be an expander for me. And I really hope that everybody that's listening is going to look you up and come and join you for Breathwork. And uh, yeah, just to be part of the conversation and part of this amazing journey that we're walking together. Thank, Thank you. you.
so, so much, Ellie. Thank you. He's back with the lawnmower, but so, so much. It is so deeply meaningful for me to be here with you. And it is always a massive honor to be any part of anyone's first breathwork experience and introduction to this practice that we love so, so much. We benefited from so much. So I am so just deeply grateful to be your, your first guest and to be um, a jumping off space. Thank you so, so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Lee, it's okay. Yes. Nobody <laughs> die. Yeah, we're all going to be okay. So thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to find out more about Erin's work, you could find her at erintelford.com and also on Instagram at erintelford underscore underscore. If you'd like to connect with me, find me at ellieloves.com where you can also sign up for my weekly love bomb with details of classes, episodes and all the things I love. 